Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast, everybody. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and I am in the process of uh, eating the ice cream that my family got me because it happens to be Father's Day right now. So if my mouth sounds like it's too cold to be forming words, then that's probably why. And if you're watching on the live stream, you can see my little uh, ice cream cup here. It's pretty delicious. Uh, welcome back, Sam and N7 Legend. What's up? How's it going? Uh, I'm not doing so well, but happy Father's Day. Uh, I wanted to say that first but i'm not doing so well i I dropped a line in the discord earlier so Mm -hmm. everyone uh who's in the discord saw it i got like the green screen of death on my xbox today and it's probably about time because i have an xbox one s and i've had it for like five years so it was on its last legs um i'm gonna call microsoft support tomorrow probably wait on hold for like 30 hours and uh, hopefully they don't reject me in, in fixing it, you know, after that long of a wait. But I guess we'll see. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to stream for the foreseeable future. And that kind of kills me. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much how I'm doing today. I am still psyched to talk about what we're going to be talking about this episode. Yeah, and that's a total bummer. I hope you get that fixed soon. Uh, maybe that will... Um move forward your plans for getting a PC sooner? Or does that make you put the money into another Xbox instead? It's hard because I have the money put aside for the PC, but I was waiting to get a job offer. That was the only box right. to check before I pulled the trigger on the PC. Yeah, um, we can cash in some of that Dogecoin. I, I need oh, the but the market current. dropped a bunch, didn't it? So I guess you can't do that either. That's, oh, I actually got out. Uh, oh, okay. Dropped that that much. Nice. Yeah, I I saw the writing on the wall. Uh, so <laughs> okay, good. I didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't want I didn't want anyone else to panic sell. But I was like, this is the smart decision for me. And and long story short, I actually I got out right before I drove across the country to Portland because I thought I'm going to be driving for 36 hours of driving. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to check my investments. So hey, there you for go. better or for worse, I'm pulling out now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, well, hopefully you get all that stuff figured out. And even more importantly, hopefully you get a job and all of that stuff works out as well. Um, but so this isn't the job Lorecast. This is not the Xbox breaking Lorecast, by the way. Good luck with that. I think they're probably going to look at you and go five years. <laughs> Sorry, can't fix it. Um, but good luck with that. Uh, this is this week. This is the Batarian Lorecast because we're talking about the most beautiful of all of the galactic species, the Batarians. And when I say beautiful, I mean two other Batarians, primarily. They're gorgeous. Yeah, they are beautiful <laughs> in every single way. Um, words can't bring them down. Words can't bring <laughs> not, them not down. Go any further with the lyrics. Oh, boy. <laughs> So, okay, so, but yeah, so th- this week we're talking about a race that gets a pretty bad rap. Okay, yeah, so who who are they and what do we what do we know? So, yeah, you know, when you mention Batarians, most Mass Effect players are going to get a bad taste in their mouth and we're going to dive into why that might be and we're also going to 
maybe debunk some of those reasons. We're going to delve into the background of the Batarians. Um, I've said mantras of previous of previous races and previous episodes before, but I think if you were to choose one for the Batarians, it's probably don't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into the reasons why. Or but first, or my eyes are up here. Are no, up here. No, up here. Oh, damn it! <laughs> I totally missed a great opportunity. <laughs> That would that would have been Dark, an amazing one. Dark Cyril in chat says, yeah. "Beauty is in the eye of the beholder." In this case, all four of them for Batarians. <laughs> I'm so glad that you bring that up because that does bring us to our next point about physiological features. Um, I'll race through the basic stuff, like you know, they're bipedal. Uh, we talk about the proliferation of bipedal races in previous episodes, uh, on previous race lore episodes. So you might want to go check that out if you're curious about why so many of the races are bipedal, but they are around the same height as humans on average. They look to be about the same weight. Um, assuming they're not incredibly dense. Yeah. Like gorillas or something. I think they are dense in a different way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Their skin tones can range from red, reddish, brown, greenish, yellow, you know, yellow, brown, light brown and even teal apparently uh they have a ridge on the middle of their head that i feel was almost certainly designed after the klingon from star trek mm-hmm. um yeah so it, think of like you know wharf in star trek and the little waves that it looks like he has on his head yeah batarians have something very similar on their forehead right and uh they have distinguishing characteristics which Cyril mentioned here in chat, uh, the first of which are their four almond-shaped soulless eyes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. They don't have an iris. It's just their their whole eye is black. And so for human beings, it looks like they're about to, you know, they're embracing eternity 100% of the time, right? So yeah. they are, uh, and one, one of the pair is more narrow and above the other one. It's kind of like uh, an animal's eye rather than a human's eye in that the the dark portion of the eye covers almost always almost always covers the visible part of the eye kind of like you look at a dog right and a dog doesn't if a dog had human's eyes you'd be like whoa that's weird um <laughs> but they don't i've seen some dogs with human looking eyes and i do get freaked out but <laughs> um they're they're there are um if you think of any horror movie where it where people get like demonically possessed that's what the batarian's eyes look like it's just the whole thing is black um and it's it's funny that their eyes are kind of one of their most distinctive features because in fact batarians do believe in an afterlife and batarian batarians believe that upon death the soul leaves the body through the eyes so an enemy attacking their eyes with you know gouging their eyes or shooting their eyes out or otherwise removing the bo- the the eyes from the body after death is really considered a huge insult um it's like it's like making sure that their body that their soul could never find peace uh which is you know a low blow it's, that is a low blow <laughs> it's, it's it's um and they have like a that's like what's wrong with you yeah they have four different escape routes too they might have maybe they should have chosen the nostrils because i think there's what like eight different options there for the soul to escape yeah yeah you're right the nose is equally as distinguishing and uh, if you want to call it that it, i don't i don't really think it's a nose as humans would think of it but it is in the same position on the face 
as a nose would be. Uh, and it's more like an upside down triangle with multiple slits. And they're somewhat like gills if you look at them closely enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's several of them. And I would, just from looking at them, I would wonder what kind of crazy sinus infections those guys get. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> because I mean, there's no shortage of orifices there. Like our nostrils point down right they're meant to breathe out the bottom of our nose whereas these holes seem to breathe right out of the front of your nose so like if you do like they lean forward and then all of a sudden like the snot just kind of falls straight straight out of their face like how does do they have snot do, like how does that work i would venture to say that they probably have some type of mucus yeah um, i mean anything considering that it says that Go ahead. The wiki says on there on the on on the wiki that their whole face is covered in tiny hairs and the hairs get longer a bit around their mouth. So that sounds like a beard. And so some of the physiology sounds somewhat similar to humans. Uh, I do wonder about the evolutionary reason behind the front facing nostrils, because the reason why a lot of human beings nostrils point downward is so that debris doesn't just fall in. Yeah. Yeah. And most openings on your body have some form of wax or fluidy lubrication associated right like your ears get waxy your nose has snot your mouth has saliva other body parts produce other things that come out of them you know like typically if there's a hole there's some sort of fluid like substance potentially or waxy oily substance that's connected to it yeah, and among other reasons, I mean, it's to to catch intrusive things like earwax is partially to catch you know bugs from going too far in there, and, and that, that's at least a speculation. But yeah, um, more about the Batarians' absolutely gorgeous face—they have pretty prominent <laughs> jowls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wrote in the show notes "jowls" in all caps because it's somewhat hard to avoid them. Um, if you've ever been to and forgive me, you know, if you're elderly and, and I feel like I'm roasting you, but I have to say that, you know, elderly humans have prominent jowls, right? It's it's yeah. right here. You, <laughs> they like just go down cheeks, their whole face. Yeah, your cheeks get droopier as you get older. And some people are more prone to them, too, based on just like their physiology and their biology. <clears throat> you know, like, yeah, they <laughs> some yeah, some people get like real good jowls going on. They're kind of like a bulldog. So, yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Like a bulldog. And you combine that with the fact that the Batarians have a retracting chin. It seems like most of their most of the Batarians have a retracting chin almost and that their face shape is like an inverse slope. Um, So it goes toward the neck. Inverse Uh, slope. I'm really painting a beautiful picture here. (laughs) Uh, Their mouth looks like a their mouth looks like a booby trap. I mean, it, it looks like the Sarlacc lives in there. No, no, you got to say what's in the show notes because I already, uh, I already the, clipped it and put it up on the screen. And I'm, I'll mark the uh, episode. Okay, yeah. yeah, it looks like the, <laughs> it looks like the fucking Sarlacc lives in there. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> uh, because 
it's just a booby trap it's um it's it's all these needle sharp teeth and they're all are kind of arranged around like a semicircle and i don't know i would never want to put my finger in there but that's beyond you know if that's your thing go for it not me i'll pass um <laughs> no, they also have a deep super guttural voice it's not inviting their voice does not say come closer in fact their voice says you know like one out of 10 dentists recommends um <laughs> but yeah strangely enough uh, they're known for their really good else, french you know? kisses <laughs> oh, oh God. i'll pass yeah <laughs> okay so uh, yeah but batarian romance novels <laughs> okay so their their voice is somewhat threatening it's um, basically the opposite of the volus right so yeah, I guess the, the general sense here is that like they're just kind of the generic hostile bad guys, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that that is an accurate assessment uh, in a couple ways, you know. But the real question is: is that feeling from players fairly earned? Well, I think the answer to that is yes and no, and we're going to be diving into that answer for the pretty much the remainder of this episode. And I think there's a, there are legitimate reasons why players might feel apprehensive about the Batarians. And I don't want anyone to listen to this episode and say, look, you know, if you are apprehensive about the Batarians, it's because you're just racist, yada, yada, yada. Let's can it with the labeling, at least for now. Uh, For now, let's dive into why in game, like in the game universe, Mm -hmm. why Shepard, Shepard self might, you know, be rubbed the wrong way by the Batarians and why are the players, you know, us in real life are off put by them. So first for Shepard, the Batarians don't probably don't strike him the right way. Uh, and that, that pun is fully intended because before mass effect one, there is the Skillian blitz. And I'm going to do a Reader's Digest version of the Skillian Blitz here. Maybe we'll do our own episode on it because it is its own thing. Uh, and it's it's very, it's, you know, it's an event that's mentioned a lot throughout the lore. And so humanity was exploring very fast throughout the Skillian Verge. And the Batarian government protested to the, to the council. They protested and said, you know, humanity is ex- expanding way too fast. Nothing was done in favor of the Batarian government. And so, so a huge, huge group of slavers, mercenaries, terrorists, other, you know, drug runners and other undesirables in society, you know, criminals were led by a power hungry Batarian named Alanos Haliot. And he tried to erase humanity's largest settlement to send a message to the system's alliance that you're not welcome here and that you need to turn around and go home. And that that settlement was named Elysium. Uh, so regardless of background that you choose, regardless of, you know, war hero, uh, ruthless, yada, 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 Shepard was apparently there. Uh, and that doesn't mean that Shepard, you know, made himself an outstanding commendation through his service there. That is the case for the war hero background. But Shepard was there and Shepard is somehow tied to the Skillian Blitz, no matter which background you choose. So this is a very critical junction like like for Shepard's career, I would say. Shepard was there on the ground and basically there were Alliance personnel on shore leave who ended up having to defend the colonists in the ground war that was going on. 
above head, the Alliance Navy was kind of kicking ass and taking names when it came to the Batarians. So it really wasn't that grisly up in the air. But on, on the ground, it was pretty nasty fighting. They're fighting not another organized state military. They're fighting, you know, terrorists, mercenaries, like I said. And so this was some really grisly fighting. And as as far as I could see, the colonists and the, you know, sparse alliance personnel were vastly outnumbered. So you go up against a force like that, even if you distinguish yourself through, you know, heroic actions in battle, that's not going to leave you. You know, as, as an old man, Shepard might look a lot like... Uh, Clint Eastwood in, in Gran Torino. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not it's not it's not that cut and dry where he's just gonna, oh, we're all friends now, you know? Um, that would be the paragon thing to say, but realistically that's not you know, Shepard's a human being. Oh sure. And so you fight the same enemy long enough, you're not gonna be readily accepting them. That being said, Mass Effect one and Mass Effect two, I believe, primes us as players to really not be receptive to the Batarians as a race. Uh, and it introduces us to the race, and none of them are really particularly friendly to humans. I'll go through Mass Effect, you know, one and two, and and kind of break it down. Mass Effect one, the Bring Down the Sky DLC, is really when we get introduced to Batarians at all. Uh, and have you played that DLC yet, mm-hmm. Tom? No, I haven't. I haven't played that DLC. Mm-hmm. So that is. Um, like I said, a Mass Effect 1 DLC, and the premise of it is that these Batarian uh, terrorists hijack a large asteroid, and they try to divert it to crash into a human colony, Terra Nova. And anyone with um, a basic understanding of astrophysics would understand that if it's a large enough asteroid, it's going to be an extinction-level event. That's going to eliminate all life on the planet. And... Not only that, but in terms of council space, using asteroids as weapons is highly forbidden. That is a weapon of mass destruction that you are not allowed to use. Nevertheless, the Krogan did in the Krogan rebellions. But that that is a quick way to get on the council's bad side. Yeah, they still do it. Yeah. And so it's it's really heinous. They end up killing a lot of innocent engineers. So uh, a little side note here, um, before we get too far away from uh, the point that you were just talking about, the um, you're talking about the settlement of Elysium and the word Elysium is a reference to the Elysian Elysian fields. I believe that's how you pronounce it, um, which was the place of it was like paradise for like the triumphant. It was like the, the place where the blessed would go after death. And we talked on a previous episode about the Mass Effect Relay, the one that was located in our solar system being called Charon, the, you know, basically person who pilots you across the River Styx to the place of, of the dead, right? And this concept that we kind of tossed around of like the ex- the leaving of Earth and exploring the the galaxy was in a sense this going to another worldly place. It was almost as if it, like it was a traversing into the I don't know, fantasy realm of the dead or something like that for, for humanity. And the fact that like this colony was named Elysium is fits that analogy still, which is interesting. Yeah, it was certainly, I think painted out to be utopic. So it was even more poignant when a bunch of Batarian criminals decided to strike there had their attack succeeded, maybe things would be different in the mass effect universe, but they were handily defeated um so 
when it goes back and, and it's interesting that you bring up the the theming there with Elysium and Greek mythology. Uh, and of course there's Terra Nova, which is Latin for new earth. Mm-hmm. That was another utopic like society that the Batarians targeted. Uh, and when I say the Batarians, I, I'm talking about a handful of terrorists who, by the way, not even not all of the terrorists wanted to do this. In fact, you find out through dialogue spoilers that one of that Balak, the ringleader of these terrorists, had lied to some of his lackeys and that his second in command thought this was a basic slaving raid when he signed up. Basic, Not that it basic was a slaving genocidal level of right. you know, right. this it was I mean it wasn't yeah, as bad slaving. as genocide. And, and as it we'll was just later, slavery. <laughs> It was just slavery, which, as we'll talk about later, that's kind of slavery is integral to Batarian culture. It's actually one of the reasons they had a a vast falling out with the council, because as the as Mass Effect players may know, the uh, council strictly outlaws slavery. The rules are a little bit more lenient on indentured servitude, but we'll do that in another episode. Mm. In in Mass Effect 2, uh, there are a number of expats, Batarian expatriates that the player meets on Omega. These in, you know include Blue Sun's members, uh, mercenaries, the Mad Preacher, who basically tells Shepard that he's going right to hell for being a human. There's even a bartender who tries to poison Shepard's drink in afterlife. That's an optional encounter. You don't even have to, and nothing really comes of it. There's no quest. Um, so mm. if you go to Afterlife in Mass Effect 2 and you go down for a drink on the on the bottom floor, mm. there's a Batarian who tries to poison Shepard's drink. So this is yet another instance of a Batarian trying to just needlessly unprovoked murder humans. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so it seems pretty black and white that these Batarians are bad news at this point. Well, that's not even, that's not enough apparently to paint the stage. Right. So in Mass Effect 2, uh, again, spoilers, this is a side quest. I forget what the or side mission, I forget what the assignment is named, but Batarian terrorists, again, hijack a facility to wreak havoc on a human settlement. And this time it's an, an Alliance interplanetary ballistic missile base. And the terrorists are aiming it at this human settlement, fully knowing that they're about to use, you know, ICBMs on a different level uh, to wipe out a lot of innocent people that had nothing to do with it. And it's Shepard's choice whether or not the the fail safe, the kill codes, I guess, can only stop one of the missiles. And there's two headed toward the planet. So Shepard has to make a choice as to whether or not Shepard is going to save the military industrial complex located on the planet which would, you know, save the Alliance's war-making capabilities or save the residential areas, fully knowing that most of the people that live there rely on the work that comes from that military-industrial complex. And even if he saves the residential area, those people are going to have to get evacuated. So another atrocity mm-hmm. perpetuated by batarian terrorists right yeah so by the time mass effect 3 even rolls around even though most batarian civilians and by the way again huge spoilers here coming in the next 10 seconds by the time mass effect 3 rolls around even though most batarian civilians are helpless refugees they're dirt poor and living in total squalor because the reapers have absolutely ravaged their home world named karshan by the time Mass Effect 3 rolls around and, and we're given that image, the damage is already done. The die is cast. The perception is already made. It's, it's 
a foregone conclusion for so many different players, Batarians, bad, right? Yeah. Because this is what we've seen now through two games and a DLC and pretty much in, in flavor dialogue amongst all of the other uh, races. And by the way, you know, the, the Batarians really uh, focus most of their attacks on humanity and the rest of the galaxy kind of sees them as a ignorable, like a, like a pest, but it's still not good. Like no, no one in the galaxy besides the Batarians really view them as good. I don't know. Maybe ask the Vorcha. It's not like they're particularly eloquent, but <laughs> the point is made. And I mentioned just now that the Reapers had done a real number on the Batarians. Here are some really, really big spoilers. If you don't want Mass Effect 3, you <laughs> know, really uh, ruined you might not actually want to listen to the rest of this episode. And I wish I was being facetious. I'm not really being facetious right now. But the Reapers did a real number on the Batarians immediately at the beginning of Mass Effect 3. In fact, they almost completely wiped them out. And their military barely exists after the initial invasion from the Reapers. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason why the Reapers were so effective at nearly eliminating the entire species. And their government, the Batarian, the hegemony, might may be partly to blame for both the heavy losses and the misperceptions and stereotypes. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know that's that. a lot. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that's yeah. that's a lot of details. The, well, here's the thing, and this is one of those dilemmas that we deal with in humanity: is that we are. We are animals, just like any other animal, and we are prone to classical conditioning. And if a certain type of thing causes harm to you over and over and over again, eventually you learn to fear the thing, right? So, for example, with dogs, if, if, you, if a male abuses a dog when it's young enough times, then that dog might fear males for the rest of its life. It's it's not a rational decision. It's not a oh that that person looks dangerous like this other person. It is an emotional response that gets like formed in our subconscious as a means of protecting us in the wild. So, for example, if you you know touch a certain type of bush, and every time you touch that bush, you get a a reaction and, and a rash on your hand. Eventually, you learn to fear touching that bush, and you look for it and you become aware of it. The same thing happens when it comes to people. This is one of the one of the root difficulties with something like racism, and, and we're not, not going to go into that too much, but in a situation like this, even as a player playing the game, you see a certain race in the game as being bad guys, doing bad things, doing bad things, have to stop these guys, they're doing something bad, they're doing something bad, they're doing something bad, then that creates a pattern to which you're always going to assume at some point that the next time you see them, they're doing something bad. And it's just natural. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's okay to make those assumptions, especially in the real world, but it, it shows that it is something that happens without a, a without a rational origin, like a, or an intentional origin, I guess I should say it's, it's not an intentional kind of thing that occurs that you then can just turn off. It is an unintentional emotional reaction that you have to learn to quiet. And you have to fight against it actively, which is a completely different thing. So, um, so yeah, it, it totally makes sense that somebody like Shepard would just have a natural aversion 
to them. And we as the player would come to learn by the third game that like, oh, these guys are these guys are bad news. They must just be bad guys. Especially because we also in right, so many other games, visceral. yeah, in so many other games, we just are taught like these are the bad guys. This is what they look like. They're always bad guys. Right. Like evil killer robots are always going to shoot at you. The Nazis are always going to shoot at you. The zombies are always going to attack you. They are always bad guys. There will not be a situation where you run into them and they're not bad guys. Um, but this is a role playing game. This is almost analogous to right. uh, if you play fallout long enough before you actually run into a non-feral ghoul and if for you know 10 hours of the game every time you see a ghoul it's trying to kill you and then you run into a ghoul in a settlement and you stop for a moment and go wait a minute this guy's talking to me this is weird i can't trust him some players wouldn't even stop oh yeah some yeah. players would just fire, you know, right. because and then and that's that, that can happen in Fallout. You can just kill someone and then, oh, guess what? That quest, that mission later on that right. they were going to give you. Right. You can't do that now because yeah. you didn't even stop trying to talk to them. And so, yeah, I agree. Batarians fill the role of space orcs. They right. are right. <laughs> misunderstood. And so they... And, and I, you know, I think that their government is mainly to blame for the misunderstandings, the misperceptions, the stereotypes like we were just talking about, but also the heavy, heavy losses that they and their military sustain immediately right off the bat in Mass Effect 3. And um, so we're going to talk about that, you know, right after the break. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the break and we're going to talk about somebody else's shepherd and then we'll be back to talk about more. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So let's talk about another one of our uh, listeners, our viewers, our readers. I don't, not reader. Uh, one of our friends, Shepherds. We've got a new one this week. Who do we have this this week? Right. This is actually mine. Uh, so <laughs> we have uh, another one of my shepherds. This what? one is different. This is not Commander K Shepherd. Oh, no, you cheated. Yeah. So this is Sam Shepherd. <laughs> I, I did. I wanted to, to I wanted to throw mine in there uh, because this is Sam Shepherd and he's uh, about to be in Mass Effect 3. Uh, I'm still in Mass Effect 2, so so some of the key decisions I have yet to make, I'm planning to make, though. And uh, this is Sam Shepard. Uh, he's a Sentinel. He has a spacer background, and he has a, a ruthless psych profile and a ruthless reputation, but he feels like it's not really well-earned. Like, he's not that bad of a guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like He kind of feels like everyone is needlessly scared of him and he's like guys come on like he's the soldier that can't figure out why no one wants to go have a beer with him well look at that face <laughs> and look at his just face kind of i've got him up on the screen on devices yeah i've got him up on the screen right now yeah, just look he, at look at that smirk like, he looks like an asshole <laughs> he kind of does yeah <laughs> no you you designed a, a, this guy totally looks like a jerkwad yeah 
Yeah, he's, he's, he's got, for our listeners, it's, he's got the smirk, but then he's also got, like, the low eyebrows. So, like, his mouth is saying, like, hey, this is funny, but his eyebrows are saying, motherfucker. <laughs> like, and I can say that because he already said it in the episode. We already have to mark it explicit. Um, yeah, that's that's what his face is telling us right there. And that's actually from the mission where Shepard busts Analeas. Uh, if anyone remembers that in Mass Effect 1, then you'll know it was kind of like a, <laughs> take that, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like kind yeah. of um, moment. And uh, that is that is Shepard looking really smug. But the key decisions, oh, right. He's, he's about like 67%, two-thirds Paragon, one-third Renegade. Um, I kind of just pick him where I'm like, this guy is very adamant about what he feels to be right. And so he's going to do it like consequences be damned. Um, and he doesn't really think before he says things. So we'll leave it there. But he his key, decision, key decisions are he kept Rex alive and saved Caden on Vermeer. He romanced Liara in Mass Effect 1. Uh, will romance Tally in Mass Effect 2 and plans to romance Tally again in Mass Effect 3. Sorry, Liara. It was a fling. You're going to have to stop guilt tripping Shepard during the Shadow Broker DLC. Look, let's be professionals. <laughs> but he also saved and, and released the Ragni Queen. He saved the council. He chose Anderson to be the counselor. He plans to, um, spoiler alert, you know, destroy the collector base cure the genophage with help from Malin's data uh, and choose uh, plans to choose the destroy ending without a second thought on his downtime. And I'm including this uh, section because commander sovereign really inspired me here, but on his downtime, Sam Shepard likes to troll Krogan about fish on the presidium. He (laughs) likes to touch the waterfall and get blacked out on Krogan liquor and unfamiliar CD drinking establishments. (laughs) Okay. All right. So that is Commander Sam Shepard. And do we have any new reviews or did we want to mention the giveaway? Um, Yeah. Okay. So speaking of of character design, uh, and we mentioned this two weeks ago, we forgot to mention it again last week. Um, So you know what? We should probably push out the date a little bit. We were going to pick a winner uh, on the patron episode, which is coming up next weekend. Uh, But instead, let's pick a winner. um, Let's push it out at least an extra week. So maybe on the fourth. I mean, that's kind of a holiday weekend, but that might work. Um, If we're going to do an episode on the fourth of July, are we going to take that day off? We'll at least push it out a few weeks. We'll figure it out. Um, But here's here's the competition. If you didn't, if you don't remember this from two weeks ago when we talked about it, design a Tom Shepard and a Sam Shepard and post it on our discord and we will pick our favorites and the favorites will win a $50 gift card. It could either be Steam or PlayStation or Xbox, whatever platform you like. So get those get those characters designed, take a screenshot or just take a picture of your TV with your phone, whatever you need to do, post it up there and let us let us know what you can do about designing characters that look like us as Shepard and we'll we'll pick the best ones. Um yeah, if you need to see hair, here you go. Here's my hair. Right? It's hat hair, so it's kind of squished right now, but there you go. You got uh, my eyes are brown. Your eyes are blue. Blue. Yeah. So there you go. Also, 
we have a new review. So let's go over this real quick and then we're going to thank our patrons. So we had one come in on the 14th, which I believe we didn't have a chance. To, that's only six days ago. So, uh, yeah, so we haven't read this one. My favorite podcast on the Citadel. I love that this has become the running like tag, like line, like title of these uh, five stars. This is from K Drin in the United States, and they write, I never really listen to podcasts because it's usually not my thing, but I absolutely love this podcast. I've been a diehard Mass Effect fan since like 2010, and it's my favorite thing ever. Mass Effect means a lot to me. I already know a lot about Mass Effect lore, but this podcast is also teaching me new things, and it is also informational pertaining to real life things and how they tie together. Definitely recommend it to my friends and will definitely keep listening because in my life, I can never get too much Mass Effect. Thank you for making this podcast. Can't wait for more. So, Kadrian, thank you for that very genuine review. And we really appreciate the support and even just taking the time to write this out. Um, it not only makes us feel good, but it also helps uh, promote the show so that people know what they're getting with the show. So thank you very, 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 very much. All right. Let's talk about our patrons. We have currently... I'm pulling it up right now. Sovereign as our tier five patron. Again, thank you, Sovereign, for supporting the show. And with Sovereign, holy crap, guys. Okay, so last month we had our first two tier four patrons on for our, teacher, our, our chat episode. Next weekend, our chat episode could potentially include one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine specters nine of you guys i don't remember if that's the name of the the uh tier but i'm just gonna call you specters anyway nine of you joining us to chat about mass effect this is going to be awesome i can't wait i'm so excited to meet you guys and hear your thoughts and your feelings about the games and just kind of nerd out for a while with everyone so thank you again for your support um i'm sure we have some new people that i need to thank let me pull that up real quick and yes, we have um, since last week, we have Sarah W. We have Kadrin N, who left the review probably, um, Sam P, uh, Stunts and Struts, and Teacup. So thank you to each of you guys uh, for supporting the show. All right. And by the way, that Sam P is not me. That's <laughs> not, not that same. I'm not paying the show. Right, right. So <laughs> subscribe to my own Patreon so I can just get the episode early. It's, I can send you the episode early, dude. Like, I just I can just send it to you. Um. <laughs> I'll just like pay you half of what I was going to pay myself. <laughs> oh, how does that even work? All uh, Vervada, Vervada in chat is Sarah W. Awesome. Well, thank you. All right. Well, we need to get on with the rest of the show. You ready? Here we go. Looking for an RPG podcast that isn't just D&D? Roll to cast is the answer. No, no, wait, sorry. What games have we played so far? Well, we've done Cyberpunk 2020. What does it mean to have a voice? And there's going to be something big coming, Chumba. Hey, if you're listening, I won. I beat you. You suck. There was a time when we were slamming things against our phones and... <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade. Chloe, Sam. You can't use those words! He's going to grab Vincent, press him against the wall. I mesmerize him. This is Adelaide's Anarch movement. First out of your chair, your hand goes to your gun and you draw. Hulk Cthulhu. Told you I had it. Oh, we've all got the creeps going. I love it so much. Right there. Screechy child. <laughs> My favorite daughter. Maybe after what we just seen, we're feeling a bit trigger happy. And the new Cyberpunk Red. Babe, you're good, but... 
better. But maybe you might be able to give me a counter Straight through his neck. I don't see bone either, but I'm not gonna look. My leg's fine. I always knew you wanted to fly, kid. Come find me. Roll to cast. R-O-L-E. A new game every season. Original music. Original stories. Interviews with the creators. And delightful Aussie accents. Listen to us on all good podcatchers. Even support us on Patreon for bonus content. That's Roll to Cast. R-O-L-E. Come discover a new world. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. All right, so... Back to the topic at hand. So, okay. So, what you're telling me is, I can see, kind of see where this is going, right? This whole thing is like, okay, Batarians, we've kind of been set up to think they're the bad guys. They do a bunch of terrible things. The player gets conditioned. Shepard gets conditioned. And they also look creepy in a way that just is off-putting towards humans in general. So, okay, these ugly dudes... They've got to be the bad guys because bad guys are always ugly and they do bad things. But it seems that maybe there's more to it, especially with the government being responsible for some of these misconceptions and the fact that they are now uh, as a race in like extremely dire straits. Like, so where does this go from here? Yeah, that's that's a very fair way to summarize it. Um, So contrary to what we may remember from the games, no, I actually don't think the entire Batarian race is evil, but their government, the hegemony, is a totalitarian rogue state. It's a highly insular regime where freedom of speech does not exist. The, think of along the lines in you know real life human terms of North Korea. And I'm going to get a target on my back for saying this, watch. Uh, but now, how, how would you feel if you met someone and they told you they're from North Korea? Not South Korea, but they, you met someone, they tell you they're from North Korea. Even though their government, not the individual, is responsible for all of those bad feelings you may get, your feelings still exist and they're valid to you nonetheless, right? Right, right. And this is... Um we can even draw some other parallels here. This would be like after World War II, someone saying they're Japanese or German to other people across the world. You know, all of a sudden you get this feeling of like, oh, oh, even though they may have had nothing to do with the conflict, they could have just been commoners who were caught up in it because that's what the government decided to do. Or and more recent ways of looking at it, somebody saying that they're of Chinese descent. There are Groups in the United States who would have it, who have, and you know, we even had a few months ago there was all this talk about Asian Americans and and abuses and harassment and, and the kinds of things that were being you know thrown at people just because they looked Asian because of a connection with China due to the coronavirus and all of that. Like there's this thing that happens where we just get conditioned and then we see somebody as other, we see them as bad, and. It just it, it just happens. And we need to we need to push past that. We need to get we need to in order. Here's here's my soapbox for the episode. We need to we need to realize when that's happening and then actively fight against it. Otherwise, that's why we can't have nice things like it's it's usually not the people at the bottom's fault. It's it's the people making the decisions, you know. Right. Don't blame the employees for the CEO's decision. Um and when it comes to government, 
that's also true. And there's a there's a really good quote, actually, from Mark Twain that you may have heard before. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my favorites. It's support your country 100 percent of the time. Support your government only when they're right. And so it makes a very important distinction there that country is not a government. And there are two separate things. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that often enough we are taught that kind of thing school and yet it's nevertheless very relevant and i think to people who have traveled enough they see they go to places where they expected one thing based off of what they heard prior to traveling to that place and then they get there and it's completely different and then you realize these people are not their government and they don't they, they shouldn't be responsible for the actions of their government God forbid anyone hold me responsible for the actions of George W. Bush. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or, or any president. <laughs> you know who what has, I mean? Yeah. Every, every and to be fair, not just like even partisan on, on any side of the political spectrum. Every president has had to make a tough decision where they've had to do something that is is controversial and potentially terrible. Like it's just the nature of the job. And on top of that, they're untangling the decisions of previous uh, governmental systems, previous people in power. Uh, the whole thing is a big t- tangled knot. And sometimes there is no good answer. You just have to do the lesser of two evils, which is a, a, a super unfortunate thing, but it's just the, the nature of the business. Um, I was having a conversation with uh, our neighbor. He's, he's moving away. He's moving to Germany. He's in the military and he has a fairly high position internationally in the military. And um, he is African-American. His wife is Hawaiian. And they um, have traveled and lived many different places. And we were just having a conversation because I have I have some other friends that are in the military. I've traveled. I've traveled a bit out of the country. Um, but it, it's always interesting to me to hear the perspectives of people who travel that much. And especially when they're in the military, because you would assume that people in the military would have a more regular feeling of apprehension about other cultures, especially cultures that we are in active conflict with. But he's exactly the opposite. He's, he's like, no, you go to these places and you talk to the people and everybody's the same. Everybody just wants to, you know, work a good job, feed their families, do something meaningful. Like people are people everywhere. We just speak different languages and we just have different governments. And so you're absolutely right. The people you should never blame the people for the things that the governments or the the corporations are doing. Because it's not the it's not the people on it's not the regular people's fault. None of it is. No, and, and it's not. And one of the reasons that I have equivocated the the hegemony to the North Korean government is, you know, you might be taking a step back and saying, so Sam, that's a big accusation to throw out, right? Why do you say that? How do we know that the government is that controlling? How do we know that the Batarian hegemony is basically the DPRK? Well. The one, the borders of Karshan, the Batarian homeworld are completely closed. No one in, no one out. So this means any Batarians we meet in the game, since we never go to Karshan, any Batarians we meet in the game are either part of or acting on behalf of the Batarian hegemony, which we already know is a rogue state, doesn't want to play nice with the council, is you know, hell-bent on these shadow campaigns against the Alliance, um, or that person is an outlaw, or really rare, maybe, they are one of the lucky few to have both wanted to escape and had the means to escape, Karshan. 
that's a very small percentage of the population. And so what we're left with basically is most of the Batarians that we meet are either acting on behalf of the government, they're acting in a shadow campaign on behalf of the government, or they're part of the government. So now you're getting a really monolithic population, right? And your your sample size is very small compared to the entire population. And right. your sample size is, 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 like I said, it's very monolithic. And number They're two, cherry picked freedom of speech of a specific subgroup, right? Like you, you're never yeah, able to take a sample of anybody outside of that one specific group. The Batarian hegemony has an entire bureaucracy dedicated to controlling the flow of information in and out of Batarian space, and it's called the Department of Information Control. They ensure that only government-approved news enters and leaves Batarian space, meaning that the population, that the Batarian population doesn't even know what life is like in the rest of the galaxy. They don't even know that they're perceived the way that they are. They only know what the government tells them. And since the government is a one-party state, it's really not in the interest of the government to allow any type of uh, vanguard of free speech and truth like a free press. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is very North Korean. This is very um, fascist. And they've isolated themselves. They have completely isolated themselves to Batarian space alone. And so when you're in the Terminus systems, and by the way, this is a very important point to mention in the rest of the game, Batarians aside, Shepard is completely limited by the council in the beginning of Mass Effect 2 to operating within the Terminus system so that they have plausible deniability. That's why. It, they they say that we'll support you in theory and in, in some in you know symbolically support you, but they tell Shepard to operate only in the Terminus systems because then they can plausibly deny that they even knew him or that they even knew that he was back. And the reason being is because he's working with the CD operation Cerberus. Right. Well, in the Terminus systems, there's so many Batarians because that's where you can go to make a really great living as a slaver, which is integral to Batarian society, very highly stratified and caste-like. Um, and But that detracts from my third point. My third point is the Batarian government, the hegemony, they scapegoat humanity for all of their faults. And I do want to dig into this in a uh, real life, you know, parallel. And I'm sorry if you're one of our listeners who doesn't really appreciate this, maybe skip the next couple minutes, uh, <laughs> because I do want to dig into this. They scapegoat humanity for all of their own faults, which is common in a one party state. They inspire one party states and dictatorships, autocratic societies, they all inspire unity through grandiose speeches, unrealistic promises. You've probably heard it before. There's a lot of dictators around even now that do this. Mm -hmm. And so when they can't do it all, this is inevitable. They make promises that they can't fulfill. And so when they cannot do it all, they need someone, some evil thing to blame for all of their shortcomings. And over time, that evil thing has to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because the shortcomings never stop. One party states are, are just, you know, strewn with yes men. Dictators don't like people questioning their rules. So what happens when you get yes men is you have a lot of people who don't know what they're doing because everyone who is a highly, highly qualified expert eventually gets ousted or assassinated. Right. Because, and because they have to say you, the, the thing they have to tell somebody in on itself because so, sorry to, to jump in. We, we have the delay that is always a little bit difficult um, because they, they, an expert 
is inevitably inevitably going to tell somebody no at some point. No, that's not possible or that's not possible in the amount of time that you're giving me and uh, dictators and <laughs> megalomaniacs, uh, narcissists. I, I worked for a narcissist. Um, they can't handle that in their minds. Everything can be done and the world is magical and you just have to tell them yes and just work hard enough. You just have to make it a priority. Just make it happen. And that's not reality. Rea- that reality doesn't work like that. Right. And, and so, you know, enough people do that. The scapegoat size needs to grow. The scapegoat level of evil needs to grow. And so right. eventually everyone that has, that is not in the inner circle is evil and the inner circle continually shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And this is one of the reasons why even Germans, uh, in world war two, German military officers launched a campaign to assassinate Hitler. The inner, the inner circle was shrinking rapidly. And that, that was really some writing on the wall that, that uh, the rest of the war wasn't going to go well for Hitler, but maybe we should start a World War II podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we can move on to history stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, every every regime needs a, a boogeyman. Um, and what's unfortunate about this is that many uh, democracies have realized this as well, which is why it's one of the reasons why the United States is always at war is because if we can fault somebody else for the, the the terrible things that are happening, then we don't actually have to address them for the population and deal with the actual situation, which eventually fails. It, it inevitably will will crumble and fall apart, and that's just the nature of it. But um, so you're saying this right. is happening this to is, them as well. Know, it is. Um, and so the hegemony has chosen, you know, made the executive decision. It wasn't up for debate. It wasn't up for vote. And they sure as hell uh, didn't allow the free press to report to the population why it happened. But they all, everyone in the hegemony at the top abandoned all negotiating with the council. The hegemony doesn't officially recognize the council's authority. So all intergalactic trade, all treaties out the window. You know, you're, you've just decided that you want to play alone and you don't want to play, you know, you don't want to play on a team. You don't want to be a team player. And it's, you know, it's either your way or no way. So now everyone in the, in the hegemony is devoid of all news from everywhere else Mm -hmm. so what do you think they're hearing about humanity all the time oh yeah the only the things that their government is feeding them which is generally uh, probably scapegoatist uh boogeyman you know stuff right so why do you think that there are so many batarian terrorists (laughs) because right because the government has primed them to do, do exactly that um Right. They've been rallied into a frenzy. Right. And it also provides plausible deniability to the hegemony to support these shadow ops that are, you know, terrorist led actions like slamming asteroids into planets and launching ICBMs at human colonies. And then the hegemony can say, well, those were just non-state actors. You know, our hands are clean. We didn't do that. Right. And we have, you know, in, in on Earth, we have rogue states and dictatorships. I'm talking about you, Russia. Do that all the time. <laughs> and right. the U.S. does it. 
The oh, U.S. Yeah. does it too. Oh yeah. The U.S. funnels money, you know, has funneled money through shell corporations and shell things like that, so that they have plausible deniability for intelligence operations that might go awry. Yeah, I mean, we we set up Saddam Hussein originally. Like the origins of that regime were based on United States tactics, um, and then eventually they became our bo- he became our boogeyman. Um, yeah, anybody who thinks that the United States and the government of the United States stands for what is morally right and that that is somehow a priority of the government is very misled. The United States stands for what they believe is in the United States best interests and specifically the people who contribute to the what money is going into the pockets of politicians and business owners and those kinds of things. That's the way the system is now. And it's unfortunate, but it's. It's just the way the system is. Um, but again, we're kind of getting lost in politics. So in this in this case, you have um, the hegemony and it's an autocratic autocratic police state. And we've drawn connections to you know, places like Russia or China or um, North Korea. In some of those situations, like when you look at a place like Russia or China, they are very well equipped militarily. But if you look at a place like North Korea, they're not because they're in such a kind of dire situation due to um, trade dis- you know, issues and, and getting the resources and, and you know, wearing out their population and, and not focusing on actually building themselves up and things like that for so long that they're now in a very difficult situation. When it comes to the Reapers, how does that, how does that work out with it? I'm, I'm assuming that they're more of a North Korea situation than they are like a Russia situation. Yeah. Um, and that's not just because of, uh, that's not just because they haven't built up their military. It's, you know, the hegemony is well known and Karshan is well known as a masterpiece in waste and corruption, even before the events of Mass Effect 1, you know, so spoilers, massive, massive spoilers, what we're about to get into I don't want to hear a single review. Oh, you didn't <laughs> warn me about spoilers in the Batarian episode because yeah. yes, because oh, yes, I did. We're going to get, okay, yes, you, I, did. I can tell you right now. I can I'm tell you right now, that right what, now, I can tell you right now what, what reviews we're going to get for this episode. One, why does that Tom guy keep talking over Sam? Okay. First of all, it's because of the internet latency. We've got an internet latency issue. I think he's done with a sentence and then I say something and so, for some reason his video is ahead of his voice. So it's weird Two, we're going to get, we're going to get that Tom guy goes on too much about the United States pro nationalist in the United States. You can't say bad things about the United States. You guys must be uh, socialist commies. Okay, sure. We believe whatever you want. But how about maybe these guys just, you know, study actual history and politics and are just talking about the way things actually are. So how about that one? Um, and three, uh, <laughs> the one about um, spoilers, right? Well, you, this time they didn't spoil anything, but they just kept talking about spoilers instead of talking about the actual topic. So now that I've said my piece, let's move on. So what is the spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> so basically the spoilers are that we have to go back in time before Mass Effect 1 to a side planet named Jartar to explain accurately why the hegemony and all of its faults results in 
nearly the entire Batarian species getting annihilated by the Reapers. So quickly, might I add. Because they did. They got, you know, really thrown for a loop immediately. And no, it wasn't because, spoilers, Shepard's uh, actions in the Arrival DLC. In fact, it's during the year 2163. And you can actually see a little bit of evidence in this. It's not a, a planet that you can visit, per se. It's not an uncharted world, but it's an info panel planet where you can go, you visit it, you, you fly up to it. It gives you a little brief rundown about what the planet's about. It's yeah, called Jartar. I have it up on the screen, too. for the Leviathan of Dis. So it's, it's awesome. up right now. Yeah. I'm going to read a part of the info panel from the planet. It's So the, the planet's info panel, part of it says... Jartar is noted for the discovery of the Leviathan of Dis, the apparent corpse of a genetically engineered living starship. The Leviathan was found in the bottom of a crater by a Batarian survey team and estimated to be nearly a billion years old. It, quote-unquote, disappeared after a visit to the system by a Batarian dreadnought 20 years ago. Since then, the, the Batarians have steadfastly denied that, Le, that the Leviathan existed at all, and all the, more, all the more vociferously when shown recordings of the corpse made by Salarian researchers. Conspiracy alert. Uh, <laughs> there's a conspiracy brewing, and the hegemony is in on it. And so, genetically engineered starship, what does that sound like to you? That sounds like a reaper to me, doesn't it? I, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not as versed in the games as you are, but I have a hard time thinking about anything else that I've seen an example of that fits that description. Yeah, and it's a billion years old. I mean, yeah, it has to be something and from before so these the current generations of, you know, spacefaring intelligent races. Right. The Protheans disappeared 50,000 years ago, and this thing is a genetically engineered living starship a billion years old. So it turns out the hegemony tried to use or control, you could say, the billion-year-old Reaper corpse to regain their place in the galaxy. And this was in 2163 again. The, the, the game starts in 2183, so 20 years before uh, humanity, uh, you know, before you take the, the place of Commander Shepard in Mass Effect 1. Mm -hmm. And so the goal of the hegemony in dissecting this and tasking their scientists with reverse engineering some of the tech from this Reaper is to surpass the Alliance in terms of tech and eclipse their military prowess. Obviously, it falls into the hegemony's ultimate goals here of telling the humans to, you know, like, go take a hike. So what happened was, ultimately, the science team that was working on it and top hegemony officials who visited and made state visits to go see it, they all became indoctrinated. Big shocker there, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe... Others could have warned them about it. Maybe there wasn't a whole lot known about the Reapers before then, but you can bet they weren't telling anyone about this. We've already established that they were highly insular autocratic regime. They sure as hell weren't going to let the council or the rest of the galaxy know that they got their hands on something way more advanced than the rest of the galaxy. So when you consider that it happened in 2163, then you start thinking about, well, hold on a second. All of these terrorist acts, the asteroid, the regular slaving raids on human settlements, the Skillian Blitz, they all occurred after then. Skillian Blitz happened in 2160, 2176, rather. So, first, the Batarians find a dormant Reaper 
maybe not a dead reaper, but a dormant reaper. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden they start acting out. They start slamming ass, trying to slam asteroids into planets. They start (laughs) trying to disrupt things the same way that the, that the Rachni did. You said slamming ass. I'm sorry. Oh, did I really? You just said you meant to say asteroid, but you stopped. You you kind of slamming ass asteroid, and I'm like, <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, oh no, oh this is quite the episode. I'm uh, um, sorry, <laughs> but the, yeah, I get where you're going with it. Are not, yeah, we're earning that. We're earning that explicit tag this time around. Uh, the Batarians are not slamming ass. The Batarians are slamming asteroids into planets, and <laughs> All of this shit is happening in, you know, after 2163. So you have to think how much of a role did the Reapers play in in the Batarian, the hegemony becoming even more of a rogue state, Mm -hmm. acting out, intentionally destabilizing the region to kind of prep for the Reapers arrival. Because this isn't new. This also happened with the Rachni about 1,500 years before then. If you can recall from a few episodes ago, or not a few episodes ago, I guess we're on episode 13 now, so about 10 episodes ago, Yeah, um, we were talking about the Rachni and the Rachni Wars and how the Rachni Queen tells Shepard that the songs of their ancestors were you know, spoiled and made sour by the notes of the Reapers. That the Reapers had basically indoctrinated the Rachni, and according to the Rachni Queen, they had been the sole cause that the Rachni waged war against the galaxy and really threw the rest of the galaxy for a loop. I mean, it's it's the Reapers' indoctrination now of the of the Rachni that caused the Salarians to play around with things and uplift the Krogan and then the Genophage, which was a disaster. And so, and then now it's also the rack, the Reapers are behind likely the hegemony becoming a totally rogue state. I mean, mm-hmm. this is convenient writing, right? Yeah. So, but it's, it also makes sense. So I've, I've got three things to share here. One, I want you to have behind you the, the crazy, uh, board with all the paper and the, and the like string. You know, just like on the um, so we, Toasty and I started the Witcher lore cast. It's tomorrow night uh, before our Xbox Game Pass show, which Sam and I do in the evenings. Um, and he had he had a similar theory about something going on with like the new Witcher season. Uh, so I, I want to see his board and I want to see your board and I want to compare them. I want, I want like like printouts and then string across everything because this totally that totally sounds like this Two, I'm going to bet that the Batarians don't have science fiction because if they did, they would know not to mess with a freaking Reaper, because when you mess with ancient technology that is highly developed, it always turns into something like this. That's what that's like every science fiction movie ever. And three, um, Jessica Starr in chat asked the question, did it also possibly accelerate the cycle that was that uh, like, was that a signal that made the Reapers begin to come back from deep space? What do you think about that? I think that that's a that's a valid question, you know, why and and I it makes me ask the question, why would the reapers want to accelerate this this cycle? And then you you start to think back or at least I do, uh to the vigil, the Prothean VI on Ilos and maybe the reapers were aware that the Protheans had kind of thrown a bone in in the gears of their machine. 
that not everything was running so smoothly and the the protheans had basically set up the next cycle mm. to have a fighting chance and the protheans right. had done that through cracking the code on the keepers the um which basically meant that sovereign could no longer easily you know just come right into the citadel uh, use the citadel and then you know herald all the other reapers in through there so the front door was now locked and the reapers can't use the front door so maybe that's why mm. they wanted to accelerate the cycle with things like the rachni or uh or or the, the hegemony then again maybe this was just typical reaper business you know what if they did this in previous cycles we don't know although we do know from the protheans that indoctrination is not new the reapers had definitely indoctrinated protheans before and mm-hmm. they had uh, those those Protheans who were indoctrinated, just like some of these top Batarian officials had intentionally broadcast misleading messages to their uh, military branches so that they couldn't have a coordinated defense. And they had sabotaged the existing defenses that were automated. So, I don't know. I think some of it is probably Reaper business as usual. Maybe there's another secret element here that the writers haven't yet elaborated on i i think that there's a pretty strong dark energy arc going on throughout all three mass effect games that isn't really elaborated on maybe that'll come back around in four Mm. but who knows Mm. okay interesting um yeah because if they were so uh when when i think about the plans and the cycle that the galaxy goes through you would also think that they would have some sort of plan for if, uh, for example, a group like the Protheans were to become aware and then set up the next group of intelligent species to have a fighting chance that they would have some sort of uh, response against that. Like they, they must be intelligent enough to plan for that potential potentiality like especially with a cycle that goes on and on again and you know who knows maybe the proteins weren't even the first ones to, to attempt that but maybe the others got foiled you know and so now they've got examples of that in the past which we don't even know about because it's so long ago um so the the ability to keep that from happening by shortening a cycle and keeping um species from evolving past a certain point by having a shorter cycle could be a very simple response a very you know it's kind of like you know let's you know take the food out before it's done cooking because now it's not gonna have a chance at tasting good that's a terrible analogy <laughs> now it's not gonna have a, a chance at spoiling our livers or something i'm yeah, not sure but i don't no, know i get where you're going with that I get where you're going with that because the reapers already created the citadel on the mass relays so that they could have this idea that these organic races would follow these predetermined paths. So obviously they like controlling things, which by the way, that's one of the reasons why I think control is the, the, the bad ending because that's a reaper ending. The reapers enjoy controlling, right? You're just substituting the reapers with somebody else. uh, That that's a, that's, that might be the topic. That might be the topic of our next patron chat. I don't know. The patrons need to decide that, by the way. The patrons, you know, hop on that. I can't wait to see what you guys decide, but I don't want to uh, put words in your mouth. I don't want to pick for you. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. the point of this whole um, spiel, I guess, was to say that the Batarians get a bad rap. 
average Batarians probably are fine. They've been lied to, though, for God knows how long by the hegemony through a, you know, no freedom of press, no freedom of speech, no one in or out. So no tourism. And so I kind of view the Batarian population as captive on their own homeworld. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and extremely misinformed, which is just as dangerous as somebody else who's who has sinister intent. A um, a deceived enemy is no less dangerous because they both both types of enemies firmly believe in what they're doing. So. Yeah, through deception, you can get good people to do awful things. Right, right. And then that, that's happened again and again throughout history. Um, it's absolutely something that we need to be aware of. Um, yeah, okay. Is anything else on this so, topic? I think we're kind of nearing the end, huh? That's that's pretty much it. I did want to touch a little bit more, if we had more time, on Batarian culture and society and how it's very highly caste-oriented and stratified. We talked a little bit about that. Maybe we're going to have to do a Batarian Part 2 episode at some point. I'll gauge, you know, listener reaction on it. Um, but I, I did want to spend enough time and, and give this topic its due right uh, because whenever we were going to cover Batarians, I knew that people were, would say, oh, the bad guys. And it's not so cut and dry. And I hope that this episode provided some level of enlightenment as to why it's not black and white like that. Yeah. Yeah. It may also be fun to do kind of a uh, social comparison episode and and line all this different um, societies up and say, like, OK, when it comes to uh, freedom of speech, these societies do this, these societies do this. When it comes to um uh the way governmental systems are run these societies do this these you know like kind of just lay everything out in a comparison yeah that could be a thing that would be that would be a really cool episode and maybe that would be an episode where we could bring on someone from the bioware community i think amazing maybe if we were lucky enough to be able to talk to one of the writers, even if it wasn't one of the senior writers, I would love to be able to talk to someone who was in those writing meetings, you know, and, and who could provide some of the cutting room floor content, maybe, uh, that didn't make it for the original trilogy. That is. Yeah, that would be amazing. I wonder if that would give us a little bit of insight into what potentially we'll see in the next one, because uh, with a lot of these kinds of games, and one of the things I've learned, especially talking with uh, like some of the creators behind Bethesda's games, uh, Elder Scrolls and Fallout, other big RPGs, is oftentimes there's so much extra content that was considered that never made it into the games that gets repurposed later on because they're good ideas. They're just there just wasn't room in the current storyline to really incorporate them. And so, yeah, we might we might see little foreshadows of things to come. And, uh, you know, two years from now or whenever the game comes out, we'll be like, oh, yeah. Remember when we had that conversation about that thing? Here it is. You know, like, oh, that's so cool. We didn't even know that was going to be a thing. And here it is. Um, So that, that would be exciting. So. It looks like we got to wrap up the episode. Everybody, thank you for tuning in with us. Thank you for being here. And please remember to, one, send us your shepherds. Jump onto the Robots Radio Discord. Design your Tom Shepherd and your Sam Shepherd. Here's the link 
uh, for our chat right now. And if you are listening, then there's a link in the show notes um, underneath the video on YouTube. And also you can just search Robots Radio Discord and it'll pop right up. And you're welcome to join us. There's lots of fun conversations going on, lots of different channels. And um next week is our huge patron chat so of course you have the opportunity to join us still and help determine the topic so patrons those of you who are tier four and higher start chiming in on the discord about what you would like to discuss and let's throw around some ideas usually something floats to the surface usually someone throws an idea and other people are like yeah that sounds great let's talk about that and that just becomes the thing that we'll talk about so yeah chime in there and sam do you have anything else going on we um we do have the xbox game pass show tomorrow night i hope you guys have been enjoying that and we'll be back at 10 30 p.m tomorrow night on this channel twitch.tv slash robots radio where you can tune in and we'll be talking more about some of the stuff coming to Xbox Game Pass and some of the games we've played recently. And you don't have to already be a subscriber of Xbox Game Pass to hear conversation about games that apply to lots of different platforms. So come join us for that as well. What else do you have going on, Sam? Well, I'm working on fixing my Xbox right now. As soon as I can, I'll be back to streaming. I'm hoping that'll come tomorrow. Um, I think that there's something up with Twitch Xbox because I don't think I'm alone here. Hmm. I've noticed some other complaints online, but hmm. regardless, soon as that's back, I'm going to be streaming. If I'm lucky enough to get it streaming tomorrow, I'm going to be streaming some Wolfenstein. This is my first time ever playing Wolfenstein and I'm going to be, I'm playing it because it's part of Xbox game pass and I'm going to be uh, talking about it on tomorrow's show. Of course you're doing specifically Wolfenstein Two, I I was told that I needed to play Wolfenstein, the New Order first. The New Order, yeah. I think that's the first one that came out. That's yeah, that's the first one where they kind of re uh, resurrected the storyline. I guess is the best way to say it. So yeah, yep, yeah. So that's the one I'll be playing. And if you want to follow me on uh, Twitch, it is at In Seven the Legend, and then Xbox is the same name. Nice, nice. Yeah, I was trying uh, Monster Train, which is kind of like a card game. Uh, it's it's really weird. It's like a you're in hell, and you're running demons on a train, trying to escape hell using cards and fighting angels on a train. It sounds super weird, but it works really well. So if you have Game Pass, give it a try if you like. Uh, it's kind of a roguelike card game with demons. So yeah, so I've been playing that. So you'll hear a little bit more about that. And um, also tried uh, whatever that dodgeball game was. I was playing that with my son. EA released. Uh, I'm looking for it on the thing dodgeball right now. Game. What, what is it called? Cool. Oh, yeah, it's a dodgeball dodge game. It's a dodgeball game. I believe EA released it recently. Um. Yeah, it's kind of, it feels a little early still, but it seems like a cool concept. My son thought it was really cool. Anyway, I'll be talking about that stuff tomorrow. So, yeah, dodgeball. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Anybody remember the old dodgeball movie? Anyway, thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. We'll see you again next week. And until then, stay safe out there and uh, try to balance out our 
complaining reviews that we get with knockout city thank you jessica star um yeah i'll be talking about more of that tomorrow uh, bounce out our complaining reviews tomorrow that, or this week that we get with some nice ones if you haven't left us a review yet maybe it'll help tip the scales a little bit um we love you guys thank you for being here and listening and we'll talk to you again next week see you guys Thanks for tuning into the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply following is a public service announcement from the starter set Dungeons and Dragons podcast. This is your D&D campaign. This is the starter set podcast. You know how like poison frogs don't lick each other's backs. So it's Hal's Moving Castle mm-hmm. with a face. Mm. Hey there, I'm Great Mandibles. Because <laughs> one of the party speaks abyssal. You're all going to die. <laughs> and then adventure falls into your lap. This is your D&D campaign after listening to the Starter Set Podcast. So join Sam and Ed every Friday on the Starter Set Podcast for prime Dungeons & Dragons content. Any questions? Hey Guardians, we are the Destiny Show Podcast, a weekly podcast about all things Destiny 2. We invite amazing guests from the Destiny community to share their stories and discuss the latest topics from the world of Destiny. Check us out on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or live on Twitch every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We will see you starside.